want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, yes. 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Well, I did the True Detective review this week, so I'm just waiting for like a wave of internet hate to just come and and take over. It hasn't arrived yet, although it has come from certain corners already. Interesting. Yes, with the Walking Dead and and True Detective overlapping, there's been some rejiggering of of reviews for the next couple of weeks. So Yes, if, if everybody would like more full thoughts on True Detective, we're going to talk about it later in the podcast, but they can also look to Sound on Sight. Yes, you could if you need another 867 words, I think it was. <laughs> there's uh, also at Sound on Sight, it's Disney Month, so there's going to be articles going up all month about that. And I wanted to throw it to our listeners. We are doing our Greatest Pilots Part 2. We're finishing up that uh batch of reviews so if you if you guys have a show that you think has a really great pilot that we didn't cover last year when we did a month of pilots let us know because we're looking to round out uh top 100 so i would love to hear some more suggestions from some shows that i may not have uh, checked out yet yeah i think we got to 60 last year and we're looking to add another 40 which is kind of nuts we're pretty much insane but you know that that's fun that's fun also insane this week joining us at the dvd shelf is greg ashman from critical mass cast we got to talk about golden girls and we somehow didn't talk about the theme song which is weird so how did we not we talk about now. the theme song okay so it's I don't it know. is a ridiculously catchy and memorable theme song i enjoy it very much about halfway through, the lyrics become useless, but I like the first half of the lyrics. <laughs> well, wait a minute, which part is useless? Well, they're talking about if you had a party and everybody brought a, and you invited everybody and everybody brought a present, my present would be the biggest and the card would say, which is, that just really smacks of, I can't think of anything better to come up with. You're insane. That's the best part. That is not the best part. It is, anyone else, I mean you're just so wrong about this i just i can't even process how wrong you are it's clearly the best part but i i enjoy the way that that theme song does kind of pop up in pop culture for people just every now and again you'll hear it or, or hear people reference it and it's always always a lot of fun but it's it is one of those ones that as soon as i think about golden girls i think about the theme song yeah it's too, it's almost too bad we don't we no longer have openly explanatory theme songs <laughs> Now I just like I want to see the uh, the girls credits sequence with "Thank You for Being a Friend" over the top. I feel like there's a really good YouTube video. We're just waiting. Probably with some Q-tip action. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> I didn't need that in my brain, but uh, but yeah, it was. Fun. No, she didn't either. Hey, oh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Oh, Simon, you're so delightful. Okay, well, we will be talking Golden Girls uh, other than the theme song. We'll be talking about that at the end of the podcast. We did talk with you guys a bit this week. We heard from Sean at the website who uh, he was answering our question. The question of the week, of course, last week was, what is the show that sounded really good on paper or the season? And then it just was dove right down and did not live up to any sort of expectations. 
he says, uh, Sean says, I watched the first seven episodes of Cult on the CW last year. In concept, ludicrously fun. In execution, just ludicrous. Submission for the DVD shelf, certainly. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> no, no to that. That is, I, I can promise you that's never going to happen. <laughs> um, we also heard from Ricky with several different thoughts. He says, first of all, a correction that Jessica Lang is coming back next season. I think she said next season will be her last season on American Horror Story. Something like that. Um, and uh, he, he says that the first two episodes of Sherlock were great and that we're both wrong, but that's okay because we can't always be right. But the third episode was a hot mess and that he loves the Batman comparison. He's going to start watching Enlisted this week. So, Ricky, let us know what you think. I look forward to hearing about that. Uh, community is so good this year that any good TV podcast should be discussing it. Is that enough <laughs> to get you to watch it? Nope. <laughs> no, you're never getting me back in. It's never, ever going to happen. He also says that uh, about girls that Marnie is and will always be the worst. And uh, about looking, he says, apart from Dom's roommate, the escort is the only character in this episode, last week's episode, that seems real. Hated the Scott Bakula scene. Can it be more cliche? The show plays everything safe. Gay TV for straight people. And uh, he says uh, Archer is the best comedy right now, but he agrees with you that we need more road adventures. Parks and Rec needs to end. And and he also mentioned, of course, this is Ricky Dr. fabulous general general editor over at Sound on Site, general editor. And uh, he has a list up of the best Super Bowl commercials. So we were talking about that a little bit last week. If anybody wants to see the uh, Ricky's thoughts on the best Super Bowl commercials, he says uh, must involve dogs to be in contention. So I'm sure that'll be fun. <laughs> So sorry, Apple. <laughs> well, I think I think it was this year's this year's best. Right. One. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, also heard on Twitter from Mario. Uh, did you get a chance to see the the link he sent? It was Jonathan Groff taking a Sutton Foster trivia test, and it was glorious. Oh no, I did not see that. It is delightful. I will send you the link. You'll have to watch it. It's wonderful. Uh, and he also answered the question of the week and said that the last season, the ending of Lost, really stood out to him as a something you know, a concept that sounded like a good idea, but really didn't work for him. And that he also wants to know uh, Resurrection is that a remake of The Returned? I liked The Returned, but I'm not sure about another U.S. version. And of course, as we've said before, it's very convoluted. But Simon, if I have it right. Um, <laughs> Les Revenants is based on a film which is adapted from a book and Resurrection is based on the same book but not based on the adaptation yes. I think or it, I've also heard that they could just be based on different books they might just have different source material so I don't I don't really know I've, I've lost track but it's no but the short answer is no it, it's not it's not a remake of Les Revenants but it does having seen the pilot it is very similar uh, so it's coming from the same idea is or the same starting point and then we'll see what happens moving forward but i did like the i did like the pilot so i look forward to watching more episodes we'll talk about that when we get closer to the premiere carl says he's doing a mini binge of enlisted and so far three he's, he's three of three on crying during the episodes and he's going for a perfect four he has fun listening to the older episodes and DVD shelves. Are they available anywhere to listen to? Because he was looking for an archive. You can find all of the episodes that sound on site if you just kind of scroll back through the the Televerse podcast page. And if you want DVD shelf, uh, specifically just the DVD shelf, you can go to soundonsite.org slash DVD 
hyphen shelf hyphen library and most of them are up there the i need to update is a little out of date but it's the most recent episodes that are that are missing the most recent dvd shelves that is not the older ones so if you're looking for older dvd shelves that's the place to go yes and I also talked with Kate Runnebaum about Postmodern Prometheus. There was some more X-Files talk and plenty of Amazon pilot talk. We will be discussing the Amazon pilots a little bit later in the show. We decided we should uh, do that. We didn't last year. Did you Did you feel like you missed out last year? Uh, no. No, I did not. I, I will have thoughts about uh, yes. some of these. And we, we, I watched them all. You watched some of them. And we'll kind of give that uh, a look a little bit later on. Uh, before we move on, I should also mention... I, I forgot to mention it when we were talking about Sun Out Sight. Of course, The Walking Dead is back, which means that The Walking Dead podcast with myself and Ricky D, as well as different guests each week, is back up at Sun Out Sight. So that should be showing up in your Televerse feed on iTunes. Uh, to when By the time you have this, that should be out already. And, of course, you can also find it up at Sun Out Sight. So we're, we're not really going to talk about The Walking Dead this week because you've broken up with the show. Uh, yes, never to return. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to save most of my talk for... For that, but for now, let's take a break and come back with the Amazon pilots. Joshua Bell. It felt like the right way to take us into our discussion of the Amazon pilots that have just been released. We're we're not going to be talking about the kids pilots, so we're just going to be talking about the the three com- two comedies and two dramas, and then there's Transparent, and that's I can't. It's it's looking style where somewhere in the middle, right? Somewhere in the middle. Which of these have you seen? Uh, I watched Mozart in the Jungle, and I watched Bosch. So we'll start off with uh, the comedies. So let's talk a little bit about Rebels, which has Natalie Z, who we're big fans of from Justified, but who is totally wasted in this this uh, pilot. Not a fan, not particularly funny. It's about a, uh, a woman who is whose husband is the general manager or the owner of, a, of an L.A. football team, the Rebels, and then he passes away and she becomes owner. Will she sell off or will she keep the the team and i wonder if you can guess what's going to happen oh god is it just me or does it sound a lot like that callie thorn show from last year well that necessary roughness features a character who's a i believe she's a psychiatrist for for this for the team so that's that's different but uh, all i'll say about this one is they bring in someone to be their 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 quarterback because they need a quarterback and guess what he has a romantic history with natalie z so, yeah, it's it's pretty much what you're expecting. Now, when you have people who are as talented as her, there's things to like, but really this is very forgettable. I would be shocked if they actually made a show out of it. Uh, yes, although, of course, with people like Netflix and Amazon, we have no idea 
how it is they decide these things. Absolutely. No clue. Um, another big one that people will have been talking about is Transparent, which is the sort of half-hour drama, dramedy one, which has a all-star cast, uh, but it really did, did not work for me because while it is so much better made than Rebels, it's not even f funny. It's just better written, far more fully drawn characters and everything. I, I don't like any of the people. I don't like any of the characters. And I'm, I, I'm out of space in my television life for a show about incredibly self-obsessed and narcissistic people. And that's what this one is. So, uh, yes, I like the cast, but that's not enough to get me to tune in. Fair enough. But, I mean, how would you separate that from, say, the cast of Girls? <laughs> well, Girls makes me laugh. <laughs> and I've invested three seasons into Girls. And so that's that's the difference for me. And uh, I do think the subject matter is interesting uh, where you have you have Jeffrey Tambor playing a paterfamilias type uh, with you know so three children and they, we follow each of the children and Gabby Hoffman and Jay Dupas and uh, and I the name escapes me of the third uh, sib sibling, but I've enjoyed her work for years as well. But uh, and, and then in, you find out that he is trans and uh, is is has started living as a woman and is is undergoing. One assumes that would be the continuation of of that storyline. Would be following his journey while also f watching how the children, you know, relate to this new information. Uh, but while that that's an interesting subject matter, I just I I do not need to watch more people I don't like. I have enough of that already. Fair enough. The last one that uh, you haven't seen that people will have been talking about is, of course, The After. It's a nice bit of synchronicity with our recent X-Files DVD shelf. This is the no new pilot from Chris Carter. And this one is interesting to me because I've seen more praise for it out there than I, I wouldn't really be as, as quick to give it as much praise as I've been seeing out there. But I do think that it does a good job of making me interested in a handful of the characters. And that's not most of them, but there's a handful that I that I am interested in. The international flair to it is almost over the top where there's a, a French woman or maybe she's Quebecois. There is somebody from the South. There's somebody who's Irish. There's some, you know, so like the, the, there's one of each in this kind of group, which feels very forced and fake. But I do like a lot of the actors and there are a couple of the characters that I am engaged with. That being said, the rest of the pilot is it's told very much from the perspective of the of the characters who are experiencing the fallout of some sort of a uh, world changing event. But I have no idea what happened because nobody in the midst of all of this craziness, obviously they want the whole point was to keep us in the character's shoes. So they don't know what's going on. So we don't know what's going on. But nobody asks anyone. They're running through the street. It's mass chaos. Nobody like pulls over somebody who seems like they know what's happening and goes, what's happened? Because our characters are conveniently locked underground when it happens, so they don't see what happens, and so we don't. Now, there is a highly effective moment at the very end, and I feel like that moment is what's hooked everyone. So, And so because of the strangeness and the execution of that moment, which is wonderful, it's very well done, they're willing. They're they're very excited to go for it. I look at the rest of the pilot and see problems all over it, and that's you know. So I'm concerned. So I, 
if it got a lot better in the first you know handful of episodes, I would tune back in for the after. But based on just that pilot, I'm not actually very interested to see what comes next. And the terrible title is not helping things. <laughs> yeah, do after or the aftermath, but the after just makes my head hurt. Um, I feel like people overhyping something because of an awesome ending is going to be a trend this week. But anyway, we'll we'll get there. Let's move on to the ones that you have seen, and we'll start with Mozart in the Jungle. What is this about? It's based on a memoir of the same name, which I th- which I think is subtitled "Sex, Drugs, and Classical Music." And I saw it first, and then I alerted you to its existence and concept, and knew it would be fun to just sit back and watch you pick it apart, uh, which it was. It totally was. Uh, this was not good. Um, I, I hate to say it because I, I think the I think the idea has promise, but man, the execution is just every single aspect goes as broad and as big as humanly possible, which just seems counterintuitive when you're dealing with a subject matter that is so inherently niche and should, you know, have detail so that we buy into what's going on. But yeah, that that's not what's happening here. And I, I do like Lola Kirk, sister of Jemima, uh, as the lead. But some of the other people in the cast do not work for me at all. Yeah, don't have Saffron Burroughs playing a cello. It's it's just she's not going to be able to fake it well unless she has a history of, of studying the instrument. Her bow hold is just all wrong, and it's very distracting. You just have her carrying, you know, show Malcolm McDowell trying to conduct. It's not. I mean, he's trying. Bless him. He's a wonderful <laughs> actor. He's trying. And he he gets the right beat pattern, even though his whole physicality is wrong. Uh, but you don't just don't show her. Just show her leaving rehearsal or getting to which they do a bunch of that. But they're just the, the specifics are where this pilot gets things wrong. And I do think that there is a very interesting show to be had in set in this world. And as a classical musician. You know, this is something that would already be very interesting to me. And there is a scene that I feel like really works and is entertaining. And that's the the excerpt off. Now, I, I have not been at parties where people have, have done drunken excerpts off, but I believe that they have happened. I, I know a few woodwind players that I'm sure would have enjoyed the hell out of that game and played it a bunch in grad school. But... uh the in the other elements of the episode the the just the specifics are off you put it she puts her cello in the trunk of a limo she wouldn't put her cello in the trunk she would keep her cello with her it's a limo there's plenty of space it's, things like that are just where the characters stop feeling real and uh just feel very artificial and there's specifics of the the brilliant conductor that they bring in Gael Garcia Bernal who Elements of that character really work, I think, but but then other elements of it really, really don't. And um, so I, it, it was frustrating <laughs> to watch. Apparently, the, the show wants you to believe that if there's open auditions for a major symphony, that you can just walk onto stage. You can just walk onto the stage at a place like Symphony Set. I Well, and, and just to be clear, like, you know, you're nitpicking because there's stuff that they don't get right. And most people won't, won't care about that. But no. I think the, made, the bigger issue is that it's just not funny. It's really. not funny. I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm willing to give a lot of leeway for shows that can see where their flaws are and, you know, steer into the skid. And, you know, if, if the only issue I had with this with with this comedy was that Saffron Burroughs clearly can't actually play the cello, so having her try to pretend was, you know, I mean, come on, guys, that that I would be willing to just kind of 
write that aside and just move on and, and enjoy the parts of the show that work. And I do actually, like you, like you, I also really uh, find Lola Kirk very likable, very watchable. And uh, but but it's when they bring in the you know the random uh, hot dancer guy who happens to show up at the party, and they're just some of these other elements of this pilot. Just, I wasn't laughing. I wasn't. Uh, I was seeing too many strings, and I, it, there was there was a real sense of trying way too hard to make it work. Yeah, and the other thing about it that's really unfortunate is that I feel like it's trying to aim for, like, slings and arrows, but it just feels way too much like Smash. Yeah. It feels a lot like Smash. But what I will give them is that they use good music. When people are playing, it sounds good. So that's something. I'll take it. Their excerpts right. sounded very nice. So, you know, <laughs> good on them for that. All right. Let's move on to our last one, which is Bosch. I'm I'm not familiar with the books at all. This is an adaptation of a crime detective kind of series. Is that the case? Uh, yeah, this comes from uh, the the pilot was co-written by Eric Overmeyer, who we know from Treme, uh, along with uh, the author Michael Conley. It's based on a series of uh, well, from what I understand, if they get a season, it's going to be based on us more or less around a specific book. And this was kind of uh, an interesting one for me to watch because my I have never read any of the Michael Connolly books, but my parents are both really big fans of uh, the author and more specifically the character. And the big takeaway for, for them from the episode was Titus Welliver is just too soft, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> I do not awesome. think of him as, as a soft figure. No. Um, which, so so I, I think actually... For their purposes, the only one, the only guy who would have been able to do justice would would have been someone like Michael Shannon. But you know, he's otherwise engaged. <laughs> yeah, this I, I thought this was uh, solid. I enjoyed it more as it as it went along. It hits many of the beats that you expect from a police procedural. And so the the early part of the the episode, I was not particularly engaged. But by the end, I was much more interested in it. And I do think it's. You know, Titus Welliver. I would love for him to have his own show, and by the by the time we got to the end of the pilot, I was much more engaged in some of these other periphery characters as well. And the case it sounds interesting, and plus, I'm just happy to see Scott Wilson have another job. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that it does really well is that it lays out the story in a highly unpretentious fashion. It does the. It actually has kind of a similar structure to True Detective in that we've got you know, sort of a two years later element, but it's much less ostentatious about it. Uh, it's got a great sense of mood. I love the sort of jazz score that we get, which is very noirish, along with his apartment, also extremely noir. But the stylistic elements aren't overwhelming, which is also nice. There's just a general lack of bullshit, mm -hmm. uh, which especially you can you can imagine the network version of this show. Oh, God. <laughs> there'd be like two love interests and... Uh, a lot and lots of shouting. There was no shouting that I can remember, which is quite refreshing. The one thing that this pilot has, though, that I think is very odd is the it just ends. Yes, it does. It really does. Just there's end. no ending to this pilot. It just and I was waiting for the next scene to load, and it didn't happen. So yeah, that almost felt like you know the Overmeyer influence from Treme. Just yeah, if you want to watch more, that's just just wait for the next one. <laughs> so what do you what do you think the chances are for this one? Again, like I have no concept of how it is that they measure these things. I, I should hope that there's enough fans from the books that there's going to be like a natural support base. But it also seemed more expensive than some of their other options just because it's so filmic. So, yeah, I, I have no idea. Hmm. And it's certainly not as flashy as something like the after. 
Well, I look forward to hearing what everybody has to say about these different pilots. I, the It was very entertaining to me looking at them briefly at the Mozart in the Jungle reviews because all the, the negative ones I saw were all from musicians and <laughs> classical musicians who have been around the world. And then there was just so many positive. It was ridiculous. I, I noticed that for each of them, you know, even Rebels, which is the most obviously just really straightforward networky kind of sitcom of the bunch, a preponderance of, uh, of five stars and only a few negative reviews. So I don't know you know, if that, if that has shifted over the the past week, but I would be very interested to see what the Televerse crew, you know, our listenership has to say about these pilots. So they're all up online. They're all free to, to watch and let us know what you think. Works for me. That being said, let's take a break and come back with our week in TV, starting with the comedies. Week in comedy, we have Broad City, Working Girls, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Party, Enlisted, Rear D-Day, Girls, Free Snacks, and Looking, Looking for 220 an Hour. Uh, so I still have not checked back in with Broad City. How did this episode work for you? I think it's really unfortunate that you haven't done that because I think it is getting a lot better. I'll watch it this week. I promise. Okay. Well, the, the, the concept for this week's episode seems kind of awesome, so I'm hoping it lives up to that. The uh, I think what's really nice is that uh, as with last week, there's all kinds of gags that just don't work at all, but it's also taking more chances. There's this great sequence where um, I think it's Abby goes off to a place called North Brother Island, which I was sure the show made up, but then I looked it up and not only is it real, but it actually looks like that. Uh, so props for coming up with a place in New York City that I've never seen depicted on TV before. It's apparently it's in the East River along with South Brother Island, which I also didn't know existed. <laughs> Anyway, thinking that they'd made it up made the gag better, but I, whatever, they get props anyway. I don't want to go on about this too long since you didn't watch it, but I think that there was a nice, it was almost exactly half and half between just hackneyed gags that don't go anywhere and aren't funny. Like the, anyway, this one recurring gag really that does not work, but then there's others that, there's there's this Louis-esque stretch in the middle, which is just amazing and had me actually laughing out loud, which never happens, so... Props to them. I, I think that they're improving at uh, a rate greater than any show I can recall recently. And I and I like the way that they are. It's uh, it's much more serialized than I was expecting in terms of maintaining the the, the workplace stuff and the and the quasi relationship, but not actually stuff. And I don't know. I, I'm just having such a blast hanging out with with both of those characters. Interesting. Okay. And uh, what do you think about this week's Brooklyn Nine Nine, the party? Because I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, just to, you know, lump stuff together, 
I feel like the Michael Schur shows for me right now, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks, like they're both kind of genial and I get a good chuckle out of them from now and again, but they're they're feeling very formulaic to me lately and like they're not t really taking any chances at all, which normally I don't have an issue with, but for some reason lately it's just kind of straining on me. Okay. Well, this episode in particular, I was really glad to finally meet Holt's husband and to, to get some time you know, with that. I was surprised that we did. I, I figured that would be a character that we just kind of didn't see in the first season. So that was fun. And it just anytime they let Andre Brower just really shine like this episode does, I think, when he's on screen, there it's, it's a lot of fun. So just watching him outside of the office was uh, very entertaining for me. Uh, but I can see what you're saying is they it does feel very familiar. They've really found their groove for what they are interested in doing right now. And I, I like one of the big things that this episode does that I appreciate is give Boyle a love interest so that he's not sexually harassing Rosa all the time. Uh, so so if they make some more adjustments like that, I think it could be more interesting. But you, you're right that it does feel a bit familiar. Yeah. Well, and especially the I forget the character's name, but not Jerry. Yeah feels so much like jerry i suppose i don't know i, I enjoy uh Hitch hitchcock and there you go there yeah you've remembered his name and i haven't so yeah there's the two i can't remember the other one right now but uh but yes i, I do see where you're coming from what about enlisted rear d-day i know that you weren't able to catch last week's did you catch this week's I did. This one also felt actually a little bit formula to me, but in a way that was, I mean, I was laughing more, so it gets more points. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the recurrence of the the anger man or temper man, T-man, they were saying, but I like that they do tie that in with his episode or whatever happened that got him kicked out of Iraq and where he punched a commanding officer and, and underlying anger issues with that. If you are interested in tying that in with his PTSD, that makes sense, but they don't feel the need to make turn this episode into a very special anger management episode. Uh, and all the, the video stuff I thought was adorable. I mean, come on. Poor Chabowski yes, too. Yes, it, it just keeps getting injured. I keep wondering when we're going to get the explaining Piz episode. I know that's not his name, but still. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still having fun with that. I like the, the giving him a love interest is more interesting, and we'll see what comes next. Uh, let's move on, though, to girls. I think we, we'll probably have more to say about that one. What did you think? Uh, I find it a little weird how they just dropped Gabby Hoffman this week. I mean, I'm assuming that she'll be back at some point, but last week kind of made it seem like that was going to be a big deal, and nope, not so much. Um, I really like the addition of all the GQ people, and I especially like the addition of Jessica Williams. Uh, she's been great on Daily Show. It's nice to see her anywhere else. Uh, actually, she's been a standout for like the last year, so good for her. And the that Culkin, he's one of the Culkins, right? <laughs> I'm not sure, but I no? did. I I did enjoy the the workplace and the whole discussion that comes with it. Uh, when I was about ready to just throttle Hannah, if she walked away from that job, I would have had to just reach into my TV and kill her. Uh, and we'll watch her deal with that later. But right now, somebody needs to pay the rent. And sometimes as a creative type person, that's what goes with it. And she is so lucky to have a job that she actually can pay the rent with that. Oh, my God. If she went back to working at Grumpy's or something, I would have just had to kill her. Yeah, it is. By the way, I was right. It's Kieran Culkin. I wasn't just being a dick. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, her sticking there was was the right move. Actually, it was a weirdly positive episode, which was uh, nice timing for them. Even the stuff with Marnie and Ray, which... I mean, there's no way that's going to end well, but I continue to really enjoy their dynamic. Yeah, the stuff with Shoshana was 
appropriately painful and horrible to watch. That's I know that's what they're going for with the character right now. Uh, but ca- counteracting that with Ray, who does continues to be a good person and a very uh, you know canny judge of character. I thought that worked. That was interesting, and we'll see. Like you say, that's not going to go anywhere nice, or it's not going to end well. That's going to explode. But at least for now, it's nice to have uh, Marnie have something positive in her life, even if it's just somebody not bullshitting her. Yeah, I don't know if it's, I don't know about positive, but it's something. And I continue to not believe that Shoshana would ever be a real person, just <laughs> just so we're clear. Are we glad that Adam's acting again? Uh, yes, I enjoyed his little, his. I, I enjoyed his little performance. <laughs> that was pretty great. And uh, I would like to see him on set. I think that would be highly entertaining. So we'll see if that, if that's something that pops up. What about looking? Looking for $220 an hour. I have very little to add about looking except that it's sad. I mean, I don't know. On one hand, I'm sad at how few people are watching it. It's it's almost comically dismal how low their numbers are. On the on the other hand, I get it because it doesn't seem to be built for anyone. Like gay uh, critics and writers all seem to be displeased with it for one reason or another and people who aren't gay don't seem to care. Well, I, this this episode I I did really enjoy watching and uh I the thing that I have with looking is that it's not the kind of show where you feel like you need to go tell people they have to watch it. And I think maybe that's part of the issue where it's this is not appointment conversation TV the way that Girls was in its first season. But I still really enjoyed spending time with the characters this week and I I've I've really enjoyed the addition of Russell Tovey. It's he's giving Patrick somebody in his realm that he can interact with uh, the, the, the workplace thing, but also just the video games worked really well for me. And I, he was much more palatable for me this week. Uh, and, and then I think, you know, Augustine and, and Dom are very interesting. Adding Scott Bakula is not help, not hurting anything, of course, but, uh, but I, I was actively enjoying my time with the characters this week in a way I have in the past two weeks with them still feeling very much of a piece. And it's not like they d- feel like different people, but I don't know. It was a very enjoyable half hour for me this week. Yeah. Is, is it the, uh, by the way, I've been trying to think, has there ever been another series that has no intro at all? Do you, do you ever, have you noticed that the the title only ever comes up at the end? Oh yes, that's true. I can't think of one. That's interesting because Girls has does the same thing with the title card, but it's at the beginning, whereas Looking the title card's at the end. That's yeah. interesting. Except for the HBO logo, there's nothing at the beginning. Maybe that's their maybe that's their problem. People <laughs> don't know what it is they're watching. Ah, well, what wins your week in comedy this week? I'm gonna give it to Broad City, just because someone has to. And uh, I'll give it to Girls. I think, yeah. Enlisted was in contention there, and looking as well, but I laughed more at, at Enlisted than looking, and with girls, I, I think it's really interesting developments, for particularly for Hannah. I, I like seeing some positivity there. And so, yeah, uh, girls gets it this week. Uh, we'll be right back with the hour long, so reality and and uh, drama, right after this. Now if I could, I surely would stand on the rock Oh. 
Are bundling together the hour long, so we'll we're gonna first. I guess so just a brief mention for our genre category: The Walking Dead premiered the episodes after. I enjoyed it, and uh, I was very pleasantly surprised by some of the choices they made this week. And if you would like my further thoughts, you can listen to the Sound Insight Walking Dead podcast with myself and Ricky D. Uh, in reality, we had the finale for Top Chef New Orleans, and it was controversial. Uh yeah, can I just say the thing that they, that they do at the beginning with the in media res opening was terrible, was dumb, very dumb. It was bad, and they should feel bad. Uh, never do that again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was not a particularly satisfying way for them to end their season. I don't think not at all. I, I can't imagine anyone being happy with that development, other well, than you know Nick. Well, yes, of course. In watching, I was expecting him to win because they've been giving him the the win winner edit for the past several weeks. They've been building up adversity for him and missing his family and Kenny power through and he keeps making all these mistakes. But has he learned enough to then pull out the win? And the, they've been really going with that storyline, whereas they've been sort of uh, ignoring Nina and uh, her potential hero storyline with her, her background in St. Lucia. St. Lucia. So... Uh, I wasn't surprised, but I, you know, and obviously we don't taste the food, so we don't know, but mm -hmm. I, so I can't really criticize the judges. I have to criticize the editing unless the point of the edit, the editors either decided they wanted, they, they thought the, the win was bullshit and they wanted to comment on that by showing us, for example, uh, what seemed like a really very biased um, judges table where Calicchio had pretty much just decided that Nick should win. And so even though it was three to two for Nina, Nick won. Or the the editing did not accurately reflect the group all coming to a consensus. Because it did not seem like Emerald was going to, was agreeing that Nick should win. And I thought it was very, I don't know, I thought it was very interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, the main takeaway for me is that it just him pulling it off is just not narratively satisfying and maybe it is for the last three but not for the whole season i've really enjoyed nina all season long and i i, I th thought her food looked great it's it's hard to make the argument when you're sitting at home watching it's hard to look at those that pile of awesome donuts with the creme anglaise and watch the judges go and <laughs> yeah, that I I had that reaction as well. So I think that I think there's stuff that needed to be done to really and, and especially when we watched the judges talking and they're saying, "Well, what was the best overall experience?" When they're dining, they're they're used to sort of focusing in just on the food. When we're watching, we're seeing Nick be an asshole to his servers, and granted, it seems like they were probably not uh doing the best of work but that him yelling at them certainly doesn't help and we so we've been spending an hour with him being very unpleasant and so what what they apparently meant was what was the best progression of food which they've said after the fact in their blogs they said that nick's the the overall experience at nick's was much better even though he was yelling at them and the waiters and stuff whereas when we see nina's 
you know, meal, we can't taste the food, so we can't be underwhelmed by what looks like delicious donuts, but only delicious donuts for dessert. We, we just see a very peaceful, beautiful, nice service. And so I, I think there was not nearly enough done to get us to be satisfied with that ending. Yeah. I mean, the, the main takeaway for me is that I just can't imagine anyone being excited in future seasons when Nick pops up and is like, hey, remember when I was? Like, oh, this asshole. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he necessarily came off there's there's some anger ma management issues there and that is not a uncommon thing in kitchens apparently that's a very no it, it is not i did enjoy i read one uh, review and maybe it was at the av club i read somebody talking about this and i thought it was very interesting that there is a gender element to that as well because if if nina had been shrilly yelling at her waitstaff i really doubt we would have gotten the same well of course he's a chef so that's how they behave you know, response from people. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, the food looked good. I'm sure it was delicious. And, uh, there's another season of Top Chef around the corner, I'm sure. Always. There are, that is, uh, one of life's few certainties. Yeah, I was, I would much rather watch the Shirley and Nina cook off, but, oh, well, maybe they'll do a, maybe they'll do a returning people season and we can watch Nina win the season, you know, when that happens. And our final two shows of our week in TV are the dramas Justified, Shot All the Hell, and True Detective, Who Goes There? And so we'll start with Justified. And they had their supersized episode. And I, I finally get to play the outtake from our Christmas episode when you spoiled <laughs> certain guest cameo appearances that are in this episode. Yeah, sorry about that. It's <laughs> Something I like to do whenever there's a new season of Justified coming up is I like to go through the IMDb because for some like they get they list guests really really early like long before they're ever announced and i just can't help myself but anyway yes alan tudyk this week uh doing the angel of death thing very effectively i thought mm -hmm. yep he was he was he was highly entertaining and i loved when in that showdown scene with art there's just this touch of slide guitar in the in the score in the sound mix and it was just it sent firefly goosebumps up the back of my spine it was wonderful a little bit of uh western showdown time there but what did you think of this episode did it earn its extra 10 minutes it was actually more like five it was in terms of fx and their super like somebody somebody said uh by like by kurt sutter standards this was basically a webisode <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, that's that sounds about right. Um, I mean, it's a little strange because the last few episodes, very little has happened, or it feels like, and then they just crammed everything into this one, which is one way to do it, uh, and certainly it's better than, than doing nothing. Uh, I, it's an interesting choice for them to neutralize their almost series-long big bad out of nowhere. Yeah, that was very much out of nowhere. I, I liked, though, that they did... I think that frees up stuff for them, especially, you know, when they talk, they bring back the notion that Art is officially retiring in eight months or whatever, which would imply that this is his last season. Um, and maybe it'll be Raylan the boss next season or, or a new boss or something next season. We'll see what they what they do. But uh, I like that that it looks like our season long thing may have much more to do with with Art and Raylan and Raylan's you know decisions in the past couple of seasons coming back to bite him it might i mean it it depends on how much hay they want to make with that the i did think that the i, I know that a lot of people have trouble with michael rapaport which I, I thought he was better this week especially you know with that great scene with him and boy this is this was basically 
Boyd's episode. I mean, Raylan was barely in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anytime you're going to lean on Goggins, things are going to turn out better. Yeah, the the bar scene was was wonderful. I like the the way they incorporated Amy Smart with the the kid, and all of that worked really well. And I like seeing Leisha Witt back this week, and I'm hoping that character sticks around a little longer. This stuff with Ava didn't work for me because it was so clearly foreshadowed like something was gonna happen because she wasn't just gonna you know dust your hands off and just be gone the next day and, and bringing back danny strong i thought was effective it was, the scene was very effective but the 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 full episode like leading to that really didn't work because they didn't convince me that it was uh that that she was going to be fine and it seemed like they really thought they had yeah i mean it wasn't the most graceful but you know, they have to do these plot contortions every once in a while. Um, the uh, Jean-Baptiste exit was <laughs> awesome. one way to handle that. Um, <laughs> apparently, uh, Eddie G- uh, Gathegi, who plays him, wasn't uh, totally chuffed about the direction they were going with that character, and he wanted out. So they decided, well... <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> we can arrange that. Oh, man. And they, had, of course, had Will Sasso get his head blown off as well in his hand. And uh, then Theotonin. Getting... So it was a lot of, you know, clearing the board of some of these periphery characters, either more more important or, or much more insignificant. I was uh, disappointed, but not surprised, when they kill off Alan Tudyk, the same episode that they introduced him. He would have been a fun, you know, potential recurring baddie. But they have a tendency of introducing these really interesting and, uh, and enigmatic villains and then killing them the same episode so i'm not too surprised by that what are your hopes moving into now that we get a bit more of a sense of what may be coming next what are your hopes i mean now that they've cleared the i mean i I think oliphant actually said out loud we've got too many characters we need to we need to get rid of a bunch of them which is really all this was now that they've done that hopefully they'll be a little bit more fleet-footed for the rest of the season Okay. Well, and let's go to our final show of the week, which is True Detective, Who Goes There? Did the week off help your appreciation of this episode? I, I think having a little space helped me with this one. I don't know. I, I ended up uh, rewatching the first, uh, actually, all three of the first episodes with my dad. Actually, with both my parents. My mom hates it. My mom hates True Detective. I think everyone should know that. <laughs> my parents are way harsher critics than I am, uh, believe it or not. <laughs> Uh, it, my dad's all right with it, and act, and now after rewatching the first three episodes, I'm cl- closer to that. Um, the thing with this episode is that that I found weird is that it didn't. You know, you've only got eight episodes of plot that we're ever going to spend with these characters. You know, next season they're doing something else in a different setting with different characters. So it seems to me that you really need to maximize effectiveness of that story time. And yet this week we literally learned nothing new about the case or the characters, which I thought was a weird decision. Well, we got to see Matthew McConaughey's character in action undercover, which was well, something new. It, no, it's I mean, we it's to new see, to see it. It's new to see but it. But it's not but it's not it 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 lines up exactly with everything that he said in I I feel like if you're going to spend all that time telling us stuff, if you're going to then enact it, you should probably develop it in some way you know what i mean like just to have them describe it for so long and then for it to play out exactly the way he described is weirdly anticlimactic i don't know it worked for me and uh, i think a big part of that is so many characters are introduced on you know crime procedurals as oh they worked undercover man they have a dark pat you know and then then that just notion just gets 
thrown out there to make the character more colorful and then it just never is drawn on. And so I like that they, you know, the, they gave him that backstory for a reason, which was so that they could do this episode. I didn't need to have the, you know, to have that take up half the episode, but the chase sequence worked for me as far as, you know, being engaging and, and, you know, interesting and all of that. And as for, <laughs> as for the rest of the episode, uh, I'm glad Michelle Monaghan got to be angry, I guess. Again, they're still <laughs> really underusing her, but uh, I don't know. I, I keep waiting for so- something to be, you know, something to click in that the people who have seen the first five have seen that I haven't. And, uh, and in this episode was not going to do that. As a gaming fan and someone who's played Arkham Horror many a time, I enjoyed the references to Carcosa and the King in Yellow. That was perhaps the most interesting part of the episode for me. I really liked that interrogation sequence. And so I'm hoping we're going to get more with that because that's, kind of, you know, that just as a genre fan, that's interesting to me. But as for, as for the love, you know, love life of Woody Harrelson, I just I don't I don't care. Well, hopefully that's over now. But um, the, yeah, the scene with Alexandra Daddario was especially egregious, I thought. But um, I don't know. It was just a weird decision to end last week with that great sequence with the shot of Reggie Ledoux, we assume. And then to not even get to see him this week. Mm-hmm. Just to have, like, we're going to spend an entire episode just trying to get to this guy who knows him. And instead of just arresting him and, and interrogating him, we're going to go through this huge rigmarole involving getting McConaughey super stoned like way more stone than anyone who fights that way should ever be. And that it all seems to be kind of a platform or an excuse to do this really incredible tracking shot, which, you know, yes, it's an incredible tracking shot, but yeah. Narratively. uh, Yeah. Narratively kind of inert. And I was even reading Fukunaga, um, who directs, who directed the whole season talking about how, you know, he read the script and he thought to himself, okay, this is where I can do my tracking shot. Cause apparently it's in all of his (laughs) films as well. So, yeah, I not not the most satisfying to me, even though, yes, it was extremely awesome to behold from time to time. Well, what wins your week in drama slash genre slash reality then this week? (laughs) Obviously justified. Yeah, definitely justified. As much as I did enjoy the food of Top Chef, the Top Chef finale, and I did enjoy watching uh, True Detective, definitely definitely justified this week well a few show notes before we go to our dvd shelf with greg ashman of critical mass cast our outro music is sweet petite by the bicycles you can find the post up at sundownsite.org for this episode where you can leave us a comment let us know what you thought of the week's tv give us a hard time about uh my harsh take on some of those amazon pilots if you were bigger fans than we were you can also of course send us an email the televerse at gmail.com or you can like us on facebook to follow the goings on at sundownsite tv it's a little quiet now what with the Olympics, but things will be heating up again pretty soon. We would appreciate any iTunes ratings or reviews that you would like to give us. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And then, of course, you can also follow us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and you are? At Sucker Owl. And Simon, what is our question of the week? Uh, well, given as we talked about Bosch earlier, I was wondering if there were other sort of uh, literary properties that people think might suit a televisual treatment. Interesting. Hmm... And actually, it's it's doubly relevant since AMC announced that it's optioned the Preacher series from from Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, which, um, all right. Seriously? Yep. Wow, that is interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've read Preacher. Preacher's pretty good, but man, 
Especially on AMC, that's a terrible idea. But anyway, whatever. My go-to is still World War Z as a miniseries on HBO, with each episode telling a different one of the stories. And, and with the success of the film, which is very, very loosely based on the book, eh, probably is not going to happen ever. But that would be my pick. Yeah, that's definitely never going to happen. <laughs> well, let us know what you think. And uh, for now, we'll take a break and come back with Greg Ashman of Critical Mascast to talk the Golden Girls. You girls shouldn't sit out here in the sun. <laughs> Blanche, we've been so worried about you. I know. Oh, I'm so glad you're out. I'm sorry if I worried you. Oh, uh, sweetheart, how are you? I'm okay. I really am. <laughs> no, at first I wanted to give up, to die, truly. Only time I ever felt worse was when George died. But then I had the kids with me, and I pulled through it. This time I thought, well, this is my last chance. This is my last hope for happiness. I just thought I'd never feel good again. How long is this story? I'm 80. I have to plan. <laughs> <laughs> then this morning I woke up, and I was in the shower shampooing my hair, and I heard humming. Well, I thought there was someone in there with me. No, it was me. I was humming. And humming means I'm feeling good. And then I realized I was feeling good. Because of you, you made the difference. You're my family, and you make me happy to be alive. Let's all drive to Coconut Grove for lunch. Okay. My treat. We'll have to celebrate. What, that she came out of her room? <laughs> then we're together. And that no matter what happens, even if we all get married, we'll stick together. We'll need a much bigger house. Oh, sure, Rose. After lunch, you can pick up the lumber. <laughs> Ma, you want to join us? Nope. I got a rest. I got a date tonight. Uh, with whom? The fancy man and I are going to the dog track. <laughs> Your mother bets? No, she rides. She's a dog jockey. Let's go. <laughs> This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are going to a fond favorite of mine from, from syndication, and that's Golden Girls. And here to help us talk about it from Critical Mass Cast is Greg Ashman. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> so why did you want to talk about Golden Girls? The Golden Girls, I should say. On Critical Mass Cast, we talk um, a lot more about movies and television, and I feel like film in the last maybe four or five years has become this all-encompassing thing. So um, I know that the television is your lives on the on the on the televerse, and I just I feel so out of touch. But the show that I always sort of like come back to sitcom-wise has always been The Golden Girls, and it is quite frankly my favorite sitcom of all time. I you know I grew up with it. Um, it's the rewatchability factor of it is incredible, and yeah, I mean. Actually, when we started Critical Mass Cast, we used to inject a lot of Golden Girls <laughs> um, little, snip little snippets on the shows. We would like, we would like, um, we would do a sequence um, 
And then we would have like, you know, the light, you know, introducing the life lessons of the Golden Girls. And then we would just like play just some random clip and then just get back to what we were talking about. That's how much um, that, that's the kind of fans of the show that we were. And I just um, I feel like there are new generations of fans who still talk about it. And I still actually get together with friends and we will just choose. We get together for an evening. We will choose a random assortment of, of uh, episodes. We will even um, make or buy cheese cake and we totally enjoy the experience i know it's it's all encompassing for me that sounds delightful uh and i kind of wish i had thought of that earlier today <laughs> oh, it, no it's fun yeah it's a lot of fun and i think it was just a remarkable show for its time well i think it's a remarkable show for any time because i'm looking Absolutely. at it now i'm sort of astonished it ever happened because when you and we talked about this recently uh, with with the X Files talking about how there's so many elements to that show that just don't happen now or wouldn't happen now or who would greenlight this now and looking mm-hmm. at the Golden mm-hmm. Girls are you kidding me? <laughs> I, know. I know in our youth um, youth oriented culture, right? I mean, it, it's just such a huge anomaly um, in terms of uh, you know executives finding a model for it and, and, and getting it out there and promoting it. Like, how do you do that with former women in their, you know, forties and fifties? Like it's so unheard of. Yeah. It's, it's, well, I mean, they're, they're in their sixties and eighties. Yes. They are. They're, they're, yeah, they were in the, well, at the time of um, filming back in the eighties and the early nineties. Yeah. They would have been in the fifties and sixties. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, it's four women. Most, almost everything <laughs> is set in the house and yes. they sit around and talk. And there's there are some love interests that, you know, recur every now and again. But basically, it's just about four people sitting around a house and talking. And uh, yeah, exactly. you have the fabulous stylings of the 80s for their wardrobe. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just it's a really delightful series as far as I'm concerned. I had a familiarity with it, of course, growing up and watching reruns. I don't even know because I didn't have cable until I was in high school. So I don't know where I was introduced to the Golden Girls, but I always had a really fond place in my heart for it. And Simon, what was your relationship with the Golden Girls? I had virtually none, but there's something about it that I find. I mean, besides the nothing in the show itself, but something on the outside that I find hilarious. I feel like every year something happens like bridesmaids or, um, Oh, or what just happened with um, that Disney film, that uh, Frozen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and everyone's like, "Oh, we can make things for you know that that feature female characters, and they can be really huge." And it's like a shock to everyone every time that it happens, and you know, he, which confuses me because you know here we have a show with no male principles, period, that ran for seven seasons and apparently was huge and award winning the entire time. And that has never been repeated. Yeah, no kidding. It's it's a weird running commentary to think of women as being funny. And to have a show like this with, you know, with women who were, were with actresses rather, that were pretty famous at the time and had very well-established careers um, and, and were talented, you know. I mean, they presented characters that, you know, were long-lived, had stories to tell, um kind of like projected the fact that you know women it you know living in midlife could you you know be intelligent and sexy and witty and just have a lot of fun with each other right and um 
I, I just think it was remarkable for that, you know, for being in that moment and being able to do that and still being able to do that in syndication. Like, it's still such a presence there. Well, it's so interesting for me because it's obviously the, certain elements of the show are incredibly dated. Below the wardrobe. <laughs> the wardrobes are awesome. <laughs> they're, they're just, they're a wonderful time capsule. But also, yeah, yeah, but there's a lot of it that really isn't. And it's just because these, these characters, these personalities are very clear, very established and very familiar ones. And, yeah, uh, exactly. and w without being old or being something that, uh, obviously these, these are, tropes these are the the good yes. nice girl the uh the more randy <laughs> woman and, and you know there's there's different they fall into different categories but the the relationships feel very genuine and that you yeah. really get that strong bond of what feels like very genuine friendship between each of them and it, it's a, it's just a yeah. clear recipe for success my favorite thing about sort of the show being dated or my favorite indicator is i forget which episode it's in but there is a scene where uh Betty White is making egg white omelets, and that's the joke. Yeah, like, <laughs> the culture like, that is a cultural shift right there in place. Oh man! Well, let's talk about Betty White a little bit. Let's, let's yeah. talk about these different performances. And one of the things that's really been entertaining for me uh, as I go back and watch more shows and and sort of fill in some of the gaps. The big gap for me has always been the Mary Tyler Moore show. And so it's hilarious to, that I, I was introduced to Betty White as Rose. That's how I knew her. And so to yeah. then find out later that she had a huge established career, a uh, huge role in this amazing show, Mary Tyler Moore show, where she's basically Blanche. Exactly. Exploded I know. my brain. Right? <laughs> yeah. And the fact that Rue McClanahan played someone who was a little bit more, not as daffy as Rose Nyland, but kind of scatterbrained on Maud, mm -hmm. where she started with B. Arthur, you know, in that, you know, acclaimed series, Maud. Like, I mean, working with Norman Lear, like, they'd worked for each other, with each other for ages. Um, and actually, I think all of the actresses have worked with each other in sort of varying kind of combinations. I think, um, oh, God, I think Betty White... No, I think it was Drew McClanahan and Betty White were together on Mama's Family as well. So, I mean, there were a lot of really kind of interesting permutations in terms of how these actresses had kind of like worked together in different ensemble comedies before establishing um, this really solid principal cast. Does anyone know if this is the only sitcom ever to feature a woman playing someone else's mother except she's actually younger <laughs> oh that's a good question i did uh i think that was hilarious they just throw the wig on her and then just and, and her performance <laughs> sell, her performance completely sells it that exploded my brain when i found that out a few years ago well the wig and three hours of makeup apparently oh well that'll yeah help. right <laughs> and their statures their actual physical statures are so different too like i i think b arthur was five five nine or five ten and um estelle getty was this very diminutive like 411 or something <laughs> and just watching b arthur tower over her mother and them trading these quippy lines but with with love um, but just really acerbic with each other. Like these women really didn't pull much punches when it came to the dialogue and them expressing themselves. And I, I find that quite refreshing. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing that I really, another thing I should say that I really enjoyed about kind of diving in, watching more of the episodes was just getting a, a real appreciation for how talented all of these women are, because I think mm -hmm. it, it's so easy to take, for example, the Rose character for granted and cause she's just so nice and she's very, she's often just 
Betty White gives these ridiculous line readings. <laughs> and she's so straight-faced. It reminds me very much of uh, of what Parker Young has has done on Suburgatory and now on Unlisted. Yeah. It's so hard to be stupid or not even stupid, but just like <laughs> to not – to be convincingly unaware the way that Daft, Rose yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. And she and, – it's wonderful. I, I would Absolutely. even I would stretch that out to Judy Greer on Archer as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I see, I see that. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to pull off, and and it's it's so weird to think of, um, you know, when they're originally conceptualizing the show and doing the casting that they wanted Rue McClanahan as Rose. Um, and no. yeah, and Betty and Betty White is Blanche. They they essentially wanted her to, to do her Sue Ann Nevins character from the Mary Tyler Show um, again. And you know, Rumel Clanahan went in reading the pilot script, thinking I'm Blanche, right? But they tested her for Rose, and then they ended up switching them, switching them obviously. And that's actually what got B. Arthur on board because she didn't want to retread of what these actresses had already done, right? So it was kind of like lightning in a bottle the way that it came together. I'm just reflecting back on their original um, decisions. I cannot believe that they wanted those actresses in those particular roles. I just don't see it. <sighs> One of the fun things about Rue McClanahan's performance for me, I, I granted we also did recently talk about Taxi, but I saw a lot of the the combination of this, the straight up comedy with these rare just moments of straight drama in there. That <laughs> and, and I noticed that thread here as well. And often in these, at least in the episodes I saw, they tended to give those moments to Rue McClanahan. And there was one in particular that was incredibly effective for me when there's <laughs> Sophia is walking 10 miles and they're watching the babies. And then it turns into this sort of oh. ex, you know, exploration for Blanche about her, her own, you know, duties as a mother and how she had failed. Insecurities. Oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, and essentially all of the characters are actually, you know, they do give terrific, long line readings and the characters are essentially really good storytellers in their own right like um i think it took and what's so incredible about the series is that all of the actresses basically they took the roles and they just hit the ground running you can see it in the pilot the pilot is kind of brilliant in the way that it establishes who these characters are what their challenges are and it kind of just sets up the season really well and um you know just sophia and her story about, about <laughs> essentially being an immigrant <laughs> and her life in sicily her life in america you know growing up in brooklyn is great and you know, Dorothy sort of being the most, I think, world-weary of the foursome, sort of talking about her ex-husband and her regrets. And, of course, Rose's stories about St. Olaf are, like, legendary. And, you know, Blanche going on about all of her men <laughs> and, you know, regaling, you know, her friends in the audience with Tales of the Old South is just hilarious that they all brought in their own individual skill sets to create these characters and these stories and you know into this really established format but that's what makes the show i think so comfortable and makes you want to come back to it right absolutely well i mean it is one of those shows where i really enjoyed several of the episodes i liked all the episodes i watched but as for there were yeah. a handful of standouts for me but but mm -hmm. each episode but it was very consistent. And so it's just the definition yeah. of the show. You can flip on any episode and you will probably enjoy it. And yet one, something I really valued about the selection that I got to, and I, I did a little bit of consulting here and there, is that it's consistent quality-wise, but it, there's quite a lot of tonal 
variety. And one thing that I wasn't really expecting, although I probably should have been anticipating it based on the subject matter, is there's a whole lot of dying. <laughs> just a whole lot of yeah. like ancillary characters or just every, you know, because of the age of the characters, especially Estelle Getty's character, just every other episode, they're just, oh, we've just come from a wake or we've just come from a funeral. <laughs> We're just going to a wake or going to a funeral. And, and it's, it's always like, Sophia's best friend who was passing away. That that woman yeah. had like at least 10 best friends in the run of this years because they kept all, all dying. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> horrible. And it's, it, you wouldn't think that would be good sitcom fodder. But it's real life, though. Like, every time I talk to my mom, every t- every couple of months she's going to a funeral. She came back from a trip to New York State for a funeral, like a funeral of, like, a family friend or whatever. Came back, went to I, – I spoke to her for the first time. She's going to a funeral the next day. Like, it's this constant <laughs> cycle of events that happens in her life. And, you know, I mean, and then you look back to the show and you just kind of, like – you know, I see a lot of my relationship with my mother in what was on the show, you know? I mean, it, it has kind of developed into some aspects of the comedy that you will see on the show. Well, and also I think a big thing that I enjoyed about it, you know, is is that, that, that undercurrent of, you see it especially in the pilot, of these women are very alone for, for yeah. considering that they all have jobs and they all have families, extended families. And yet mm. in that pilot, you know, Rose is very concerned. Rose and Dorothy are very concerned that they're not going to have anywhere to live and they can't afford an- another place of their own. And they don't have any family that they can really feel comfortable living with. It's, it's a reality that, that uh, there's an overlooked portion of the American population who are especially single women who are getting yeah. in the that that portion of their life who society would rather that they just don't really think about them exactly yeah exactly i know because my mom is she's on her she's comfortable but she is sort of like on her own and um has been has been sort of in that situation for a while so you know I guess maybe seeing a bit of that on the show and seeing some of those insecurities and some of those challenges, you know, sort of like brought to the plate. I mean, I I think it's resonated with a lot of people for, um, you know, the reality of this type of situation for, you know, for women at that that age. Right. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. We were talking a couple of weeks ago about enlisted and the way that they have to they have, I guess, a responsibility, you might say, to balance certain truths about that setting along with you know the necessity to be funny and that i think is something that they handled really well which is that they never they never got too unrealistic or, or lost sight of what was supposed to, of what should be going on in these people's lives but you know they also never forgot they were a highly unpretentious sitcom right um i think what's interesting with the show too a lot of people talk about with long running series like this too um people like to talk about the jump the shark moments and i don't know whether you guys have had a chance to watch much i think a lot of people pinpoint possibly for the golden girls having maybe the last three seasons being a little bit uneven just because um i think there's a change in the production uh sorry in the producers and in the writing um i think mark cherry had come on board he is most notable for creating Desperate Housewives after after he left, you know, moved on from the Golden Girls and it had finished its run. But the stories became a lot looser and I think a little bit more fantastical. And it's one of those symptoms you see of series that are sort of running into the end zone, like, you know, the addition of more guest stars 
and that sort of thing. Like, you know, you can really sort of feel like sweeps week kind of taking over <laughs> like every week. <laughs> and, and that sort of started to those stunt tactics a little bit kind of um, sort of dominate the show a little bit, not to the extent that, you know, you see with most sitcoms, you know, the, the late 2000s and, and, and so on. But um, I could definitely sort of see that, that looseness kind of coming in the the writing wasn't as tight well it had the benefit of only going seven seasons as opposed to say 12 <laughs> thank god right i know i know by modern standards like it's pretty not that incredible. bad yeah it's not that bad at all i i, I would say though that um a couple of, i i caught a couple of late episodes and i didn't notice a particularly marked drop although maybe i just happened to pick decent ones i also noticed that the that the finale and i'm assuming others were was actually co-written by mitch Hurwitz. Mm-hmm. Who you know yeah. would go on to do some stuff. He's <laughs> a couple things, you know. Just a couple. <laughs> do we have a favorite golden girl? How do we feel about the different characters? I love them all. <laughs> I feel like I've spent so much time with all of them. Um, it's really hard to tell, but like I said, like I was sort of saying before, that I do feel like all of these women in their own rights are such amazing. Um, uh, storytellers and bring so much life experience to each of their characters. But I think in terms of just a, like a, a reactionary character, I think Dorothy is probably really up there for me. <laughs> um, it's, um, I, I guess it's, uh, and I, I think that's a little bit of her, um, the theatricality she brings to what the other girls are throwing at her in some scenes, like, um, and just how acerbic she can be and how quick witted she can be. Like she's got something kind of like on the right on the edge of her tongue. And, um, and some of her like reactions to, to Rose and like to, to all of them, really. I mean, it's just, um, it, it just floors me. <laughs> it floors me with B, B Arthur's, um, comic timing with that character. I just thought it was kind of astounding. Yeah, I had fun talking with my sister actually about this about who, which golden girl would you be and who would you want to to be like your mom or your grandma because of course you'd want Rose at least I would want Rose for for the grandmother because she's so nice and always helpful and kind. You don't know that you'd actually want her to be your mom though because she might you know she's so sweet all the time might drive you nuts. She might be a little too clean. You know, so like these are the discussions mm-hmm. that we are having. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of interesting though because um a year like the following year after um the the golden girls ceased production because well b arthur didn't want to do it anymore she felt like she had um done all she could with the character um the other ladies uh betty white rue mcclanahan and estelle getty they didn't want to stop going so they created another sitcom called the golden palace which like lasted for a year mm-hmm. and what was interesting about that show was that um they brought i think it, i think it was like a sweet sweet stunt of some sort they brought back b arthur actually came back for a two-parter <laughs> on that show that's kind of crap never does not happen in television anymore but she came back for a two-parter and it was so funny that the episode was all about how Dorothy was the anchor for all of them. She was always the one that they really kind of like went to kind of kept things together. I mean, Sophia to a certain extent 
kind of fulfilled that role too. But Dorothy was kind of like the rock. And I feel like a lot of the show was kind of like anchored around her for the really serious stories sometimes. For, and for the most part, I, I, I just think it was something, it was some, some of the very elemental things about the character that kind of like kept them going. Right. She was the one with the most common sense, basically. Oh, definitely. And the balance between the four is what makes the show work. And, right. and you know, having Rose's sweetness counteracted by Dorothy's acerbic personality, and you have sort of the the romanticism and the the whimsy of Blanche, and then that gets counteracted by Sophia, and you know, it it really is a very delicately balanced right. blend of characters. So I just felt like it was a really weird commentary for them to sh to throw into that spin-off series mm -hmm. to sort of like reflect why the show wasn't even because it only lasted a year and the show was not working um at all. Speaking of spin-offs and things that don't happen anymore, I love that mid-series the show got another spin-off which itself had a spin-off. Yeah, <laughs> And I and the best part is until I did a little bit of research, I'd never heard of any of that. <laughs> that stuff just disappeared into the ether. So you didn't know about Empty Nest? And... No, or that other one that came out of it. Yeah, like I think at the end of I think it might have been the second season, they were trying they had brought in these characters that were kind of essentially I think Rita Marino was actually one of the yes, she was. actresses. Yeah, she was the wife. She was kind of the um the principal actress in that that you know they were trying to spawn another series out of but they kind of ended up turning that you know their neighbors into the westons and that was empty nest with uh richard mulligan but um the golden girls kind of spawned a whole assortment of shows around it on the saturday night lineup towards the end of its run like there was nurses as well which was another series um, so it, with the Laverne character from Empty Nest, so it was just kind of like this all encompassing thing. And this sort of, it just doesn't happen in this. It just doesn't fit the television model anymore. This sort of thing doesn't happen at all. So, except for all of the stupid CSIs, but you know, they don't care. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> They're not sitcoms. It's just a completely different thing, but yeah. Yeah. Well, do we have any favorite episodes we want to mention? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so I get us started. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Dive in. Uh, like I was sort of saying before, the the actresses kind of like hit the ground running with how well they fit into their characters. So, so this first season is incredibly strong. Um, and there was one episode called, I think it was towards the end of the first season, um, called uh, The Flu or the flu attack, I think was an alternate title or something like that. And it was um, essentially about uh, Dorothy being a hypochondriac. And they, they, have, they basically have this charity banquet that they're all excited about um, that they all need to go to. And it's about Rose essentially getting, getting them all sick and having them being their most horrible selves trapped within this one space over the span of a week. <laughs> and it's just a delight to see how horrible <laughs> they're all being with the, with one another. Like they would like, they would fight, then they would make up again and then they would fight again. And it just kind of had this rhythm and ebb to it. That was absolutely incredible. Do you, you know, think so Lena Dunham saw that at some point? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> 
seriously. I yeah, the dynamics for this show translate into a lot of like really great stuff. But um just the ebb and flow of that episode was fantastic. Um also another episode earlier in the first season was called um Break in and it was basically about them getting the, the their home getting burgled. You know, after they come home from a Madonna concert, there's like a Madonna reference in there. And um about Rose in particular having to deal with insecurities about not being with a man, not having a man in the house and about them being independent people and having to be able to cope with these types of challenges. It was a very interesting episode in that, in that regard. Um, and I come uh, talking about sort of, sort of off the beat type of, you know, kind of loose, um, loose concepts in the last sort of the last seasons of the show. I actually just rewatched um, an episode. I think it was called Henny Penny, and it was about um, Dorothy staging this stage production at her school of of Henny Penny. No help, help! You know the sky is falling, and all of the principal actresses playing different roles within that school production or whatever and just seeing the women in the costumes and singing and dancing it was actually a really nice change of pace to see them doing something like that um within the within the framework of the show <laughs> um it also kind of felt like this chance for the actresses to breathe a little bit to get out of you know to get off the the house set and just do something a little bit different so it was actually kind of refreshing to see some of those touches in the later seasons. so that one is definitely um, a favorite of mine but i have so many it's really hard to it's like your children it's kind of like hard to pin down when they're a couple they're all so amazing one of the wackier ones that i did enjoy quite a bit was bringing up baby uh, yeah, that's so good. Which is the one where Rose ends up with a giant pig. <laughs> and they have to decide if they're going to keep the pig and the $100,000 that right. comes with it. Yeah. That was pretty so entertaining. That's, that's so madcap, eh? And like Blanche on her knees begging for baby's forgiveness. <laughs> when she's trying to redeem herself in the end is just fantastic. Since uh, we already touched on the things sitcoms wouldn't do today, and uh, this felt particularly relevant to s stuff that's happening in the world right now. I don't want to get more specific than that because we like our segments to be timeless. But um, the sick and tired two-parter, yeah, which really just revolves around nothing much more complicated than Dorothy just wants someone to hear her out seriously, just to be taken seriously as a human. That's mm -hmm. the entire... I mean, there are some comic asides here and there that are clearly there to take up time, but... You know, that's the entire linchpin of two whole episodes. Like, what? that's kind of awesome. And I, th I, I, I think B. Arthur, and and this does not, and I don't say this to, um, to degrade any of the other performances or what the actresses are capable of, but that character, I think it was essential that it was that character that was able to bring that kind of dramatic weight to what Dorothy had to go through in that episode. I think made it a lot more relatable to people and um you know for posterity to be honest i mean it just really holds up really well because she you know b arthur was a really great comedic actress but she's also a really fantastic dramatic actress as well and was doing this stuff back on mod big time you know i mean she was in a norman lear production and norman lear did not back away from there was very little that he backed away from well and it it 
it does again it it does balance all these different ideas and it it's not afraid like you said it's not afraid to be dramatic and then be ridiculous the next week and then be yeah. you know, more whimsical the next week it it manages to have fun with a bunch of different tones and just prioritizing quality mm-hmm. you know in in their yeah. in their production it was a really good max yeah yeah. Well, we are unfortunately out of time, but before we before we finish, I do have to ask. Okay, <laughs> Simon, Greg, which Golden Girl are you? <laughs> we all knew this was coming. Um, geez, uh, I think I've got a lot of Dorothy in me, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Dorothy. <laughs> I feel like I'm just surrounded by ridiculousness all the time. And, <laughs> and um, in my life, in my work life, it's just kind of crazy. So I, I do feel like um, I, I more than project, I don't project a lot. I, it's about me sort of taking things in and being reactionary for the most part. So that's what I sort of always loved about, uh, about uh, Dorothy. I, yeah. I would say, for me, combine Dorothy's basic personality with Sophie's extreme oldness, <laughs> some sort of otherness in relation to everything else, and yeah, yeah you've got it. That. Yeah, you've got that a little bit. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not nice enough to be Rose, and I'm not funny enough to be Sophia, yeah. and and I'm not flirty enough to be Blanche. So that, <laughs> and I do think I'm pretty sarcastic, so that makes me Dorothy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a kind of a process of elimination for me, too, for yeah. Dorothy in the end. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, thank you yeah. guys so much for coming on and talking Golden Girls with us. Where can I listen no to find you online? Yes. Um, so again, my podcast is a Critical Mass Cast. We talk about mostly movies, but a lot of pop culture as well. And um, you can find us at criticalmasscast.com or on Twitter at, uh, at cmasscast, all one word. Great. And again, thank you so much for coming on. I just wanted to thank you guys. It was a blast talking about the show again. Absolutely. Well, and uh, thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. I couldn't help it, but I spoiled myself on who the guests are, and I'm just like, I'm sorry, okay. I'm sorry. I for that'll be for our our preview, our, our mid season preview, which we'll be doing in a couple weeks. Okay, fair enough. Let's yeah! leave it okay. for that. Okay, yeah! cut. Which ones did you hear about? Alan Tudyk. I didn't hear. It. He's not in the first two. What? Oh, <laughs> what did you just do? <laughs> oh, no. I saw him on IMDb. I assumed he had to be in the first. No. Two. <laughs> I'm so How sorry. Dare I'll stop you? talking. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I've done this once before. Oh, I'm so Damn sorry. it! <laughs> I thought, though, maybe if I page, I'm gonna look see if it's in my book here. 
because there are two that I was assuming that you knew about that I will not say because uh, clearly you don't. Well, I, I might because there's others, but I won't. But obviously, yeah. I'm going to stop talking. No, no, Alan Tudyk is not in the. Damn it! Okay, <laughs> that's a good damn it. I'm looking forward to it, but <sighs> anyways, okay, okay. Sorry, <laughs> that's too funny. Uh, that's a fu- that's a future blooper. That that I will. Uh, I will. Yeah, I'll actually. That's a good point. I should save that. I should save that. Okay. Getting back to whoop, it. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> oh, okay. 